Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. I know you will join me in welcoming Alda Sigmund's daughter to the podcast today. Alda is the author of the Little Book series, including The Little Book of the Icelanders, Little Book of the Icelanders in the Olden Days, The Little Book of the Icelanders at Christmas, and at least six more works of both nonfiction and fiction, all centered in Alda's homeland of Iceland. She is a master at her craft. The book that caught my attention, however, was her memoir titled Daughter, about her formative years, which were actually spent outside of Iceland, in Canada, at the choice of her narcissistic mother. Her story is beautifully and powerfully told. It offers no easy answers, no pat explanations, but it does offer profound hope to the reader. Now, there are a lot of books out there right now that discuss childhood trauma and mental health, and there are many books written from an entirely different perspective, tackling childhood trauma and spiritual healing. But Alda's story of being shattered and put back together is the only book that I personally have ever read addressing the intersection of childhood trauma, mental health, and spiritual healing. If you have ever felt that the truth was out of reach or watched someone you love spiral into darkness, then Daughter was written for you. It was Alda's vulnerable and really sacrificial labor of love so that you may feel seen in your own suffering. I am truly honored to introduce Alda to you now and to share our conversation, which has been, uh, like her book, reverberating in my mind for several weeks now. Welcome, Alda. So we're good to go. Yes, I think so. Oh, good. Oh, it's just such an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Oh, well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's truly my pleasure. I've I've genuinely been looking forward to this so much. There's so much to go into. Um, I was very moved by your memoir. I have, you know, rabbit ears, dog ears, um, all through the pages, underlines, all of this. <laughs> so wow. there's there's so much to discuss, but I think we'll start uh, predictably, of course, with food. You did share a recipe with us. Do you mind saying the name of it? Describe it to us. Um, yeah. Yeah, go for it. Right. So the recipe that I chose after mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of deliberation mm-hmm. was the Icelandic pannukukur. Mm. which literally means pancakes. Mm-hmm. So panna is a pan in Icelandic and kukur is cakes. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, but they are closer to what you would think of as crepes. Yes. But they're not the, the thick American style of pancake. They are mm. like the, the French crepe. Mm. And, Delicious. Um, this is a recipe that has... I think holds a lot of meaning for my entire culture here in Iceland. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the kind, it's the the thing that was and has traditionally always been made, you know, on special occasions, mm-hmm. and um, 
and also the, the fact that they are these um, thin mm -hmm. uh, crepe-like uh, pancakes. Yes, is comes from you know it, it's a it's a it's a very emblematic of our history. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, Iceland was extremely poor for mm -hmm. many, many centuries. Yeah, uh, we, we live up near the you know, or we're situated up near the Arctic Circle, so mm -hmm. you know, nothing really grew up here. Mm -hmm. and, um, the only food that people had really was you know animals, you know, mm -hmm. that they um, conserve in different ways and um, and and then eat throughout the winter. Mm -hmm. And um, and one of the things that was very very scarce was flour, mm -hmm. and um, and therefore very precious. And it was something that people would only have, for example, on on Christmas or very mm -hmm. very special occasions. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these sort of uh, cake like bread like uh, concoctions in mm -hmm. Iceland uh, tend to be made with the minimum amount of flour. Mm -hmm. So just like these uh, crepes, you know, they, they're paper thin because mm -hmm. there was no flour available. Mm. So um, today uh, they are, or not just today, but they have sort of traditionally been consumed, eaten with, um, so two different ways. Um, okay. On the one hand, <clears throat> you'll have, you know, the stack of crepes and people will, will sprinkle sugar mm -hmm. on them and then roll them up so that they're mm. like rolls and mm -hmm. ideally you do this um when they are warm so the the sugar can uh, inside you know that's yes the, that's that magical idea. chemical reaction <laughs> exactly exactly uh and the other is with uh whipped cream and jam mm. so in, in that case you would you know smother it with jam and then uh take a dollop of whipped cream and then you fold it mm. <laughs> Um, in half and then again in half so it's like a quarter and you ah uh, right and yeah. what could be wrong with that exactly <laughs> really well wrong with it. Um, it is delicious it really is mm, delicious mm, yeah to your point um about the scarcity of food just yesterday i released an episode with um a chef of uh Hey, really brief interjection here. Um, there's a break in topics here that uh, I, I, you would notice it if I didn't come in and explain this. Um, Alda is just spending some time explaining um, pronunciation in the Icelandic alphabet to me. And as she does this, she actually um, clued me into the fact that in the last episode, um, where I featured Chef Stefan at uh, Three of Rakar, that I have been pronouncing the name of his restaurant incorrectly all along. So um, it's not prayer fracar, it's thrir fracar. And of course, even that is, I'm sure, a terrible pronunciation. But at least you now know um, how egregiously incorrect my original pronunciation was. So anyhow, I cut that whole section. And we're back to Alta now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is this is really like like a three, thrir fracar. This, the name of this restaurant. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So I, I asked him, the, the very last question I asked him is, um, I said, what story does Icelandic food tell? Um, and he said, it tells the story of we ate what we had because yes. we were borderline starving, you know? Absolutely. So I find that interesting. And to um, just to round out the toppings, are these things that were available historically and the whipped cream would that be sheep's milk? What what would that come from? Um, I think that probably came later. 
Mm. So uh, I imagine that it was probably sugar or jam. Mm. Um, today, I'm, I think people had uh, cream, but they mm-hmm. used it very, very sparingly because usually it was made into butter. Ah. So, and, and butter could be pre- better preserved than yes, cream. Yes, I see. And, and butter was actually a um, currency at one time in our history. So people would pay their rent in butter. They would, mm-hmm. um, you know, ex- exchange. It was it was a currency. So they would exchange things for butter. Mm. Incredible. Mm. It's a resilient people for sure. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Mm, mm. Which is also the story of your life uh, in many ways. And it's a question, we'll get into this a little bit perhaps, but you raised this question in your memoir uh, a couple of times is what makes a person resilient versus someone who sort of just folds and takes the easy and usually self-destructive way. Um, it was a theme that I, I, it was a thought-provoking theme, certainly throughout your, throughout your memoir. So um, were you going to say something about that? Sorry. No, no, no. I'm just listening and oh. nodding over here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to rush on if you were. I apologize. Not at all. Not at all. Okay. Okay. So as as we turn this a little bit more um, personal, you also chose this recipe because it does have sub- significance to you and um, reminds you of people that you love and who very deeply loved you and of times that you cherish. So tell us about that. Yeah, so it reminds me, excuse me, <clears throat> I still have a little bit mm. of my cola. Mm. It reminds me of uh, my grandmother mm-hmm. who shared uh, the same name as me. Her name was Alda Sigmundsdottir. Mm. And um, she used to make these. So I have very, very fond memories of being in her kitchen uh, with the the pancake skillet because there's, there's a special skillet that mm-hmm. you have to and um and getting it you know the batter just right so it's not too thin mm-hmm. uh so that it creates holes and it's not too ah. thick you know it's so th- it's it's a little bit tricky to make these mm. um <clears throat> so i have um you know fond memories of helping her make these panukukur mm. uh, in her kitchen and then um later when my grandparents' three sons uh, were all grown up and had their own families. Mm-hmm. Um, we would always gather on Sundays so that these three families would always gather on Sundays at my grandparents' house. And mm-hmm. uh, my grandmother would make these panukukur. And um, it was actually kind of a marvel, you know, because they were by this time quite elderly. And mm-hmm. I know that a lot of um, people who, you know, knew about this tradition that we had, it, yeah. they were you know they they're so lucky that people that you know you actually want to go and spend time with them wow and and um and we did and you know it was mm-hmm. a very um lovely time every week um i didn't actually live in iceland for uh, all of that time but whenever mm-hmm. i was here it was a very special event and my grandmother would always make the panukukur mm-hmm. so we'd mm-hmm. go to her house or their house for panukukur mm-hmm. um yeah so Mm, yes, and I can again, having um, read your memoir, and 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 you know how I don't I don't know if there's a spoiler alert right for for this, but um, certainly your grandmother's relationship with you was hard won as well. And when you shared this recipe, I was putting myself in her shoes as much as yours, and thinking how hard she fought for these times, how 
much she wished for them and yearned for them and how special it must have been for her to make these for you, how much she must have cherished that opportunity. No, that's lovely. Mm. Yeah. I, mm. I haven't actually considered that side of it, but I hope you're right. Yeah. I hope you're oh. right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure. So I did want to ask a question about this. And, and it's interesting because I don't think this question would have come about um, without my friend, Gudmunda, who is Icelandic. And in some ways she shares, um, she shares this sort of like inside outside um, perspective on Iceland, I think with you, because she was born in Iceland, raised in Iceland, um, lived there until she was gosh, I don't know, early 20s, um, when she met her husband, who was um, in the U.S. Air Force, and there was a base there um, in Iceland at the time, and then fell in love, got married, and then she traveled the world, um, spent a lot of years in the United States as um, an Air Force wife, raising four children, who, um, you know, again, would spend a lot of time in the United States, but also time in Iceland and felt uh, felt this pull <laughs> towards Iceland. And um, anyhow, when she, I, I was going to visit her, that was the impetus for me reaching out to you. And when you accepted. I was so excited. So I just took a screenshot of your response to me, which was so warm and lovely. And I sent it to her and just said, I'm so excited about this. And I want to make these pancakes with you while I'm in Iceland. And um, she wrote back and said something that I had completely even missed. And she said, um, you, she pointed out that you had said one of the things that was hard about choosing a recipe is that to you, Icelandic food is not that tasty. And she was like, I find Icelandic food to be very tasty. Can I, sorry, please, please. for a second. I think yes. there might be a, have been a slight miscommunication ah, there. I'm pleased, you know, traditionally throughout history, mm. Icelandic food was not very tasty. That mm. was what I meant, simply because of the preservation methods that were yeah, used. The, all the fermentation, the fermentation, the mm. salting. Uh, yes, exactly. So, uh, Today is a completely different story. Mm, right. So today, Iceland has some of the best food in the world. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just so we're clear on that, that yes, no, 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 no. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, I was thinking of more um, traditional foods mm -hmm. discussed, you know, that I want to talk about here uh, with you. And, and that's why I said, you know, Many of them aren't really that tasty. Right, right. The fermented shark, which they were yeah. explaining to me last week that sharks don't have kidneys, so they sweat out everything that we, you know, everything we urinate, they just, it it seeps through every, all their muscle, everything that you eat, and it ferments it as it goes. <laughs> so few people yeah. consider that tasty. That's what you were referring to. Yes, yes. So the, the shark is is mm. one of the things. I mean, I'm talking things that we Icelanders tend to feed to tourists, just like because <laughs> you know, to see their reaction, like to test our metal. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually the shark has been chosen by I don't know some magazine as you know the worst food. I in saw the that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. So, and, uh, but I mean, yeah these these things came about through mm. um, necessity to preserve food throughout an entire winter so that people wouldn't starve. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And soaking so many things. Again, one thing Chef Stephen taught me about last week is how many things were sort of soaked in the way of the skier yeah. yogurt because, yeah. um, which is, I mean, it's, that's by definition, sort of a bitter acidic flavor. Yeah. It's like pickled. Mm, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's basically pickled. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, did your grandparents or other people who grew up there genuinely grow to like the taste of that? And do you think that was sort of just a palate that you didn't develop throughout your years in Canada? Or do you think that in general, Icelandic people eat it more out of tradition than than a true sense of... They don't eat it today. <laughs> they don't. I mean, there's a midwinter festival, which yes. is, happens to be you know going on right now. Yes. A Thoroglot, uh-huh. where um, they pull out all these sort of old traditional foods and they eat them just for a lark, you know? Yeah. Uh, but generally, it's not even available. You know, most of it is not available mm-hmm. throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And this is just something that people moved on from as soon as they could, believe me. <laughs> I see. I see. I see. Um, yeah, actually, it's interesting. On the um, We flew Iceland Air. So on the way home, um, they mentioned this midwinter festival. And they didn't feed us the shark, but they did feed us. Um, it was, I think, lamb blood pudding over pureed rutabaga. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't bad. Again, it wasn't. Um, it's not crazy. That's, that's that's totally fine because it's not pickled. It's not. I mean, they would not have fed you the shark because it would have that the whole airplane oh, sank. Can you imagine? Oh. Your your clothes would have been stinking all the way home. It you know they would not do that. Absolutely. Mm. Not. Mm. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, the the blood pudding is is very similar to the Scottish haggis, for mm. example. Yes. Um, and it doesn't have a smell. And <laughs> yeah, so. no, it was it was more it was actually quite a mild flavor, which I didn't expect. Um, I think I always expect actually I had never had bloody blood pudding before. And I always expected that it would have like a very strong, you know, um, taste of iron. And it, it didn't it didn't have that at all. No, exactly. Mm. Mm. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that clarification. Yeah. <laughs> In general, in general, now, do you tend two more cooking questions and we'll move on in general. Now, do you um, tend to eat Icelandic food? Um, Do you even think that there is a definition of Icelandic food now? Um, Or do you feel like your palate is more uh, defined by so many of your travels around the world? Living not just in Canada. Uh, I do not think that there is a specific Icelandic cuisine today, uh, unless you can sort of count fish, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is plentiful and very fresh here. Mm -hmm. So um, there are a lot of, you know, very fancy restaurants that use Mm -hmm. this excellent fish that we have. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's almost impossible in Iceland to go to a restaurant and not get good fish. Mm -hmm. You just can't do it. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is our traditional lamb, which is mm-hmm. uh, free range. Yes. And it's very tasty. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from that, I think most Icelandic chefs, uh, well, you talked to a chef last mm-hmm. week or mm-hmm. whenever uh, you mm-hmm. were here a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, he may have told you about this, but I think most uh, chefs here have learned to incorporate, you know, different um trends or you know mm-hmm. fusions of food from different countries mm. so i wouldn't necessarily say that there is um 
a traditional Icelandic food, they they may use traditional Icelandic ingredients like mm. the skir, which is um, mm-hmm. kind of like a cross between cream cheese and yogurt. Mm. Um, it's really is, special. Yeah. The product is very high in protein and they use that now in, um, to make, you know, like cheesecakes and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. To your point, I think that Icelandic food embraces um, a lot of the diversity that exists there now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Totally. I was I was surprised, but sort of delighted to see in Reykjavik in general was how diverse it was. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, I mean, just a recent thing that was on the news um, yesterday mm-hmm. that the Icelandic culinary international culinary team. So, mm-hmm. you know, they have these co- cooking competitions, international cooking oh. competitions. Uh-huh. Um, and there was one yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Icelanders came in third place of oh. 50 countries. Wow. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's um, jump into your memoir, because like I said, I read about three quarters of this in one sitting. I was truly captivated by it. And um, one thing I like to do on my podcast is discuss things that maybe people can't just um find anywhere else. Like, I don't want somebody to be able to read your about page and then have listened to our interview. You know what I mean? And so the thing that I'd really like to go in um, to in terms of your memoir, mainly because these things completely jumped out of the page at me and I found them very surprising were the spiritual overtones. So when um, I read, you know, sort of your bio and when I read the summary of this book, it was about a relationship between a mother and a daughter, and perhaps by extension, the relationship of um, someone with their home country who was removed from it. So these tones, and I just wasn't expecting um, these very intense, um, very clear, uh, spiritual, very profound, very, very profound um, spiritual overtones. Uh, and I appreciated that very much about your memoir. Um, it really, it spoke to me in many ways. So if you don't mind, oh, I'm reaching for it here. Here it is. I'd love to um, just start with a quote that really uh, interested me. This is about the camera. This is, sorry, I have so many marked. I did, I'm not getting to it as quickly as I would have thought. Well, do do you mind actually sharing the background to this camera scene, what happened here? Do you mind sort of summarizing that story? Sure. Okay. Um, so, but first of all, I just mm. want to say, you know, Please. thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this book. Mm. Um, and it's clear to me now that I probably have to change the book description. <laughs> ah. It's not, you know, reflecting accurately um, maybe what it's about entirely. Mm. But, um, you know, I mean, I've been writing about Iceland for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm outside of Iceland, I'm mainly known for my Iceland books. So mm-hmm. um, every interview that I do, you know, podcast episode, everything, <laughs> it's usually about Iceland, mm-hmm. and, you know, different aspects of Icelandic culture. And, and that's fine. I mean, I love that. But mm-hmm. I mean, this book was a real departure for me. Mm-hmm. And it was also really me putting myself on the line, I feel. I would say so, yeah. Yeah, and um, and I haven't really had much opportunity to, to talk about that, and especially these mm-hmm. things that you pick up on, because um, 
you know, I've talked about, I've done interviews about the book, and mm-hmm. most people will focus on um, the mental health aspect mm. uh, and perhaps the narcissism mm. or the narcissistic um, energy that is in the book. I don't actually mention narcissism, but it you is. You don't. Mm-hmm. It is a book about narcissism. Yes, mm-hmm. growing up in uh, with with narcissism, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, I just wanted to. I, I mean, I feel seen. I feel seen. Oh well, there's Lovely. no. Well, that would be a um, huge goal of mine with my podcast is. Uh, for my guests to feel that way for, I used to be a wedding photographer and our main goal of course was to make, take amazing photos. But before that, to make our clients, our couples feel completely comfortable and cared for. And I feel that way about my guests. And so I'm thrilled if that comes through, but it's also for um, my listeners to feel the same way because whatever, I mean, you talk about this in your memoir, but the human experience is of are so different from person to person, but of course it is so, there are such common themes um, and threads that go through it. So whatever it is that you are discussing in your book, I know so many of my listeners will be uh, sort of nurtured um, Mm -hmm. and feel the same by hearing you talk about these things. So I'm I'm that, thrilled to hear that. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Oh, that's wonderful. And that yeah. is actually um why I feel so grateful to be able to talk about these themes because I feel um that you know with this book the departure was in a sense that I'm describing something that I feel is um very common to all of us, mm. you know, on a human level. Mm. Uh, um and I know and I've had lots of feedback of course mm-hmm. about the book and I know that mm-hmm. there are many people who uh, feel seen when they read the book. Mm-hmm. So um, mm. it's really important for me to be able to, um, yeah, to be able to highlight that and to be able to talk about it. Mm. Um, and if I it. can actually perhaps even take a moment right now for people listening who might sort of thirst to hear about this topic, I I, I want to just read actually how you, how you closed the book. You said, before I close, if you feel unseen, I see you. If you were abused, I see you. If you were neglected or shunned, I see you. If you were abandoned, I see you. If you carry guilt or shame, I see you. If you feel worthless, I see you. If you fear annihilation, I see you. If you battle the darkness, I see you. You are beautiful. You are worthy. You are needed. You are not alone. So I think you just spoke to everyone <laughs> listening. Um, yeah. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. So yes, let's go back to this um, camera story. T- tell, tell, us, um, tell us about it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I mean, mm-hmm. the, the story is, you know, this on, you know, in a very basic surface mm-hmm. level is um, that I was living in Canada, uh, which is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was going back to Iceland for the summer. And I had um, friends that I'd talked to Iceland about. Um, of course, this is in the days before there was Instagram mm-hmm. and, you know, right. photo, photos of Iceland just like flowing all over the internet. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, I described many of these natural wonders and um, people kept saying to me, you know, take lots of pictures. I want to see some pictures of this. Mm-hmm. And um, and I didn't have a camera. I didn't own a camera. Um, I 
had had a camera that um, was one of those portable, you know, little ones and mm-hmm. it was ruined. So anyway, I, I had spent weeks thinking like who could possibly lend me a camera for these five weeks or something that I was spending in Iceland. Mm. And, um, and I couldn't think of anyone. And, you know, I, this had really been occupying my thoughts for, you know, quite a long time. So um, it was, I think about four or five days before I was about to leave. Mm-hmm. And I was walking home, it was in the evening, um, home being, uh, I was actually staying with my aunt and uncle mm-hmm. at that time. And I was walking home to their house. And literally in front of their house, I looked down in the gutter as I, you know, just come walking along. (laughs) And there is a camera lying there in the gutter. It was, you know, one of the fancier models at the time. It was like a 35 millimeter camera Mm -hmm. where you could like with a zoom lens and everything. And it was a Minolta, which was, you know, a very um, well-respected camera manufacturer at the time. Mm -hmm. And um and it was in this black vinyl case, you know, with one of these loop things that you, you know, put around your wrist so you don't drop the camera. Mm-hmm. And I was just absolutely stunned. I just looked yeah. down and and then, you know, like I looked around. Is is somebody playing a trick on me? Like, you know, yeah. this camera is lying here in the gutter. <laughs> and of course, my thought was, you know, it doesn't work or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And um And so I picked it up and I went inside and thought, you know, what am I supposed to do with this camera that was just like literally lying there uh, in front of the house? And um, and so I had it was a week as this was on a Friday night, I believe, or Mm -hmm. it was a weekend. And and I was leaving right after the weekend, Monday or Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And um, and then so I, I discussed it with my aunt and she said, you know, take the camera with you and I'll put a lost and found ad in the classifieds. Mm. And, um, you know, if somebody comes forward and says, yes, I lost a camera, then I'll just explain to them that you borrowed it. For, you know, <laughs> a trip. And, uh, and, it and you'll like give them good... copies of all the photos. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what could yeah. be more precious than photos of Iceland? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So it sounded like a good plan. Uh. And, um, and I took the the camera to mm-hmm. Iceland and used it mm-hmm. and nobody ever came and claimed it. Yeah. And I owned that camera for many years. Yeah. And, and the way I describe it, I don't know, do you want to read this? The I passage? do. I, yeah. I okay. do. And I do want to say, um, you're, you're such a tremendous writer and, uh, I didn't really see this coming. Um, I guess I should have seen there was some foreshadowing while you were talking about the camera, but I was just like, yeah, who wouldn't want a camera? You know, I was sort of blissfully going along and then you're describing this scene and the Mm. way it dawned on me what you were seeing and the significance of it, it. It was almost like I couldn't, uh, I felt the way you did. I almost couldn't grasp it at first. Mm-hmm. It was, and it dawned on me so slowly. And then when I realized, I actually got goosebumps um, mm. reading it. And then I read this, which is <laughs> incredible and underlined, double underlined in my copy. <laughs> that incident on that warm June evening in 1981 gave me my first inkling that a power beyond my own understanding existed, one that would quietly fulfill my most ardent needs and lovingly bestow upon me gifts that I did not have to earn. 
So, wow. (laughs) So my first question, I'm going to just ask it bluntly. Do you have a name for this power beyond your own understanding? Um, I call that power God. Mm. Um, I am totally open to other interpretations of Mm. that power. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you know, some people call, call it a higher power. Some people call it Jesus. Some people call it Allah. Some people call, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, but for me personally, I, uh, am convinced that there is a power, Mm. that there is a force Mm. and, um, whatever name or however you choose to understand that I think is just beautiful, you know, Mm. um, and obviously, I, I also respect people who who don't believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, so, that's my uh, and and I variously will talk. You know, will say God or a higher power, what mm-hmm. whatever. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. and you said you talk about your most ardent needs. Can you say? Can you share some of the other needs that? God, I'm I'm going to use your term, and I that's that's the term that I use as well. Um, God or this higher power has um, met for you over the years. Uh, the amount, the number of gifts mm. that I've been given. I mean, I can't even begin. Wow. To list. I mean, I would not be. I mean, you've read my memoir. You you probably have some sense of the place that I was in mm-hmm. at the time. I would not be where I am today without mm-hmm. that because I know that my own force of will mm. to change, to make things happen, to orchestrate something failed almost every time. And the only time that I got anywhere of any significance was when I surrendered Mm. and and gave up trying to control outcomes. Mm. And the outcomes that I received were, have consistently been far, far beyond what I could have done in my, you know, very feeble Mm. um, willpower. So Mm. yeah, that, um, Mm-hmm. And I mean, I get messages like this all the time. I think most of us do. I mean, if we're mm-hmm. open to it, you know, all these mm-hmm. quote unquote coincidences that happen where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, wow, was that a coincidence or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know that for me personally, um, there are some times in my life when I feel that more strongly than other times mm-hmm. uh, where I feel like I'm sort of caught in a current of something that is just, um, the Icelanders call it melbir, which means like a wind at your back, right? There's something uh, that is helping you, propelling you forward mm. um, on on the journey. And mm. I can tell you, Becky, that when I was writing this book, mm-hmm. it was just like out of this world. <laughs> mm, you were anointed. <laughs> Yeah, well, yes, okay. Mm. <laughs> the number of coincidences or things that happened or, you mm. know, 
things that came up that helped me uh, formulate something or a song that came on the radio when I was writing about this particular mm. scene where I used to listen to the song. Mm. Um, and because you just read um, that little part that I uh, wrote at the end, mm-hmm. one of the things that absolutely blew my mind was when I had literally finished writing that, I had you know, literally, it was like five minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, usually I, I would, when I, you know, was writing, I would shut down everything, all, all the social media, everything else. So just, mm-hmm. I was just focused on um, the writing. And then I uh, finished writing that and, you know, I sat for a minute and then I opened Facebook as one does. Mm. <laughs> and the first thing I see was a meme that said, I see you. Whoa. And I just literally finished writing, I see you. Mm. So one one small example of, mm. of um, yeah. Mm. Well, I'd like question. What's okay. that? Does that answer the question? Yes, yes, it does. And it 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 leads me to a, a follow-up question um that that ties together. This, what you just shared, and then also what I brought up earlier, um, which is something you sort of tackle a little bit in this book. Uh, well, I don't know that you tackle it so much as you leave it as an open question, is this idea that, like you said, uh, you use the word grace, which is, of, of course, a heavily religious spiritual term, and 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 you're a good enough writer, I know you use it um uh, Purposely, you use this term grace over and over and over, which is just like you said in that portion there, um, receiving an unmerited gift, unmerited favor. At the same time, you also talk in your book about sort of uh, fighting for this, not to deserve it, but to discover it. And this idea that there were people who came along who kept encouraging you to fight. And at one point you even say fight against the powers of hell, which again are very uh, Mm. spiritual terms. And my question would be for someone listening who says, I feel I need this in my life. I don't know if this exists, but I want to find it. I want to believe it exists. I want to live, as you say later in your book, you live a life of grace. That's a direct quote. What would you say to someone while saying, you can't earn this, uh, you know, you just said, but also you've, you fought for it and you use this word surrender, which is, which is an action. I mean, even to surrender is an action. Like, what would you say to someone who's like, I'm looking for what you found, whatever you name it, but I can't find it. Mm-hmm. What would mm-hmm. you say? I would say I hear you and I see mm-hmm. you. First of all, because mm-hmm. uh, that is basically what my memoir is about: this struggle, mm-hmm. this intense struggle mm-hmm. to find that, to to get there, you know. Uh, and it's you know it's very hard to. Um, to advise other people mm. on spiritual matters, because I think each of us has to find our own way yeah. and everyone's circumstances are different. And, you know, um, it's just like, you know, you'd never, I, I would never tell anyone leave this relationship or stay in this relationship mm. or whatever, you know, because mm. I don't know 
mm-hmm. what their journey is, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what has worked for me, and um, and I mean, I can just tell you straight out. I think mm-hmm. one of the things that has um, worked, and this came after you know the the, the period of time that I describe in the, in in this in this memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, is the 12 steps. So I, mm. um, I am, I, I spent about 20 years going to, uh, meetings, um, Al-Anon meetings and, mm. um, and I worked the steps, you know, can I, three- can I just ask, is this because there was such, I mean, you tackle this big time in your book, there was such a history of alcoholism in your family. And it's in some ways what destroyed your mother and she passed that destruction and ways onto you. Is it because there was simply a history there that you felt like I, I need to tackle this head on or was there personal experience? Because you don't talk about that in your memoir. It didn't seem like you ever really succumbed to that. Um, succumbed to alcoholism, you mean? Mm-hmm. Right. So um, just to make one point clear, so mm. Al-Anon mm-hmm. and AA are two different Oh, um, oh, okay. Explain this so, to me. Yeah, AA is um, for uh, you know for alcohol alcoholics. Uh-huh. So support uh-huh. uh, groups for um, al- alcoholics and uh-huh. Alan is for the friends and families of alcoholics. Oh. And um, the uh, the the theory mm. is well, not the theory, but it, I mean it's it's true that mm-hmm. uh, a disease like alcoholism. Um, affects the entire family. So, you know, if the, if there's a, a sick individual inside the family who is, you know, ill with alcoholism, which is a disease, um, the entire family is affected. So, um, if the alcoholic goes into recovery, then, you know, the other members of the family don't automatically just get better. You know, the Mm. whole system needs to recover. Mm. So, um, in my case, it was Al-Anon. So, um, Thankfully, I don't seem to have this predilection for um, mm. uh, for addiction. And um, but uh, I could say that spiritually, mm. you know, I was um, I needed to recover, mm. and that is the focus of, of Al-Anon. Mm. So, I um, see. yes, but there are twelve step programs mm-hmm. for all types of. Um, you know, I think I, w- I would say mental health afflictions and the 12 step programs are very spiritual programs and the, the 12 steps, basically they can work on any kind of spiritual malaise. Um, and I mean, th- they're simply very common sense tools uh, that anyone can use in order mm-hmm. to get better. Mm-hmm. And um you know, it's it's a it's a very, in, I mean, it's fascinating to me from an objective sense that mm-hmm. um, that this sort of um, the spiritual program. It's a very spiritual program mm-hmm. that it has come forward in what came out in the in the twentieth century, so last century, mm-hmm. um, and as traditional religion was on the decline, it seems to me that twelve step programs have been sort of on the rise. And hmm. I can say that here in Iceland, for example, they are incredibly strong. So they replace um, here uh, 
what I think many Americans get from going to church, for example, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of like a, a community, a sense of community, mm-hmm. um, a sense of um, belonging to something greater, a, a sense of, you know, unconditional support mm-hmm. by a group and so on. So um, I think a lot of Icelanders get that from from 12-step groups. And um, mm. and it was actually after I moved back to Iceland that I, um, that I sought out this program and um, I found it incredibly helpful. Mm. So, uh, and one of the things that, I mean, the first step is basically about surrender. So it is about, um, uh, if you're an addict, it's, it's, um, I can't remember the exact wording, but uh, Mm. it's, you know, that your um, life has become unmanageable by trying to control your addiction. Mm. Right. So alcoholics who are trying to control their drinking, uh, have to relinquish control mm-hmm. and others who are trying to control and very often for the friends and families of the alcoholics is that they're trying to control the other person. So ah. they're trying to control something that is uncontrollable mm. in both cases. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, uh, and the first step is that you have to realize that your life is completely spinning out of control, mm. that you cannot control what you're trying to control. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is, essentially what surrender is mm. um surrendering to something that you you realize okay you know i'm i'm done i can't do any more mm-hmm. and and then um you start to focus on yourself and 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 change the things that that you can change mm. and um what is interesting of course is that very often if you've been trying to control another person or, or another person's mm-hmm. addiction or drinking or whatever mm-hmm. um the moment you stop right you stop the dance and you mm-hmm. start to focus on yourself mm-hmm. um the outcome that you were after happens sometimes it doesn't mm-hmm. but sometimes it does mm-hmm. so but but ultimately that doesn't matter because you know when we have become sick Mm-hmm. by somebody else's whether it's addiction or whether it's mental health um, problems or in my case there was nar- the narcissism mm-hmm. um then you know we have to uh find ways to focus on ourselves mm-hmm. rather than on the external thing that we are trying to so you know that many people have sometimes spent decades mm-hmm. trying to control and yeah, yeah. so that is yeah. the first step I would say in, um, in, in the grace. And, mm. um, for me, um, it's a process. It's it's not something that you can just, you know, flip a switch and say, now I have grace, right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a process of healing and everybody has their own journey. And sometimes you go, you know, forward, uh, two steps and then one step backward. And mm-hmm. it feels like you're not getting anywhere, but you are, mm-hmm. um, I think, the main thing is to have the intention and um mm. and i mean these are just very basic spiritual principles that have been around you know ever since the time of when the bible was bible mm-hmm. was written mm-hmm. you know seek and you shall find right mm-hmm. so if you surrender and you really genuinely want to find mm. uh and and you're you know you're you're genuine and you're in and you're you realize that what you've been doing isn't isn't giving you the outcome that you want, then, um, then you surrender and then magical things happen. Mm. (laughs) They do. 
Your book, the, there were so many times that I was, so I, I have an, another favorite spiritual memoir. It's called Something Other Than God by Jennifer Fuhlweiler. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a book I read. Um, my my fourth, my third and fourth children are adopted. And my fourth, I was, uh, I, I wasn't allowed to um, come back home. There's some paperwork that had to happen. So I was in another state and I read like, this, this spiritual memoir like overnight <laughs> when I was up with him like feeding him in the night and um she said if anyone wants to find God mm -hmm. the first step is to take a break from cynicism mm -hmm. and I feel like I saw that in your book as well this I and you've said it a couple of times now like you have to look you have to see where um, you have to look for the gifts. And instead of calling them coincidences, you have to, you know, um, see them for what they are. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I feel like um, I'm hearing that from you as well. Would you agree with that statement? Uh, yes. Mm. But very but, often, mm -hmm. I think we have to suffer before mm. we you know, it's it's sometimes not an easy road, and and mm. you know, mm. um, suffering is often the place, uh, or or the 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 means by which we get to that place. Because mm. you know, when we have an illusion of our own control or or whatever, those illusions often die very hard, mm. right? And, um, oh yes, you so, say you somewhere know, here. Pain, it can be extremely, extremely painful. Yes, you start a chapter with a sentence. Uh, I can't find it, but it's like seared in my memory. You start a chapter with a sentence. When you have built your life on a lie, the truth is brutal. Yes, and you Ex experienced that. Yes, uh, and I think that many of us who experience trauma when we're children, mm. um, when the events are too overwhelming and you know just too huge for us to process, we have to construct an illusion. Mm. We have to just in order to survive. And and in and your case, what was the illusion? Well, I mean, there were there were numerous illusions, mm -hmm. but um, one of the illusions was that um, I could always return to Iceland and that I would be welcomed with open arms and that my father would step up for me mm -hmm. and um, would fight for me. Yes. Um, because, well, I had this, this yeah. whole thing with um, my mother and parental alienation and all that. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and then I discovered that that wasn't the case. So the illusion that had sustained me um, throughout my childhood was shattered um, mm. in just, you know, a few days. And that is basically what sort of set me over the edge in into this, you know, abyss of darkness and um and floundering around and just being extremely lost and, um, you know, needing to find some kind of authentic center in myself, which I just did not have, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, right. Because what you were telling yourself it was, was, was simply not the case, which was that either your mother or your father were 
were there for you. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciate, and I, I had, um, I, I appreciate that you just brought up this idea of suffering because, um, you know, I, I think again, for people listening, it's one thing to hear, like I've been given gift after gift after gift. So I believe in this higher power, you know, but yeah. you balance that beautifully. And I, and I'm going to, I want to go into this in a minute. Um, you balance that beautifully with the idea that evil is real and it exists and it's not a, um, and exists in us and it exists mm -hmm. all around us and that that will create suffering. It will create that. And that um, you talked about this really significant class that you took with a Catholic priest and mm -hmm. someone, you know, burst out crying and said, I want to find the truth. How do I find it? And he said, you have to suffer. And yeah. uh, I, I think that your book, the one of the things that struck me is so true about it is that um, you're talking about these incredible gifts you're given that you don't deserve, but you're balancing it with the fact that you suffered deeply. And you, to be honest, at some point found that without this higher power, you were completely alone in this world. Um, yeah. So I appreciate that, again, you're speaking to people who are maybe in both places right now, maybe one receiving gifts that they go, whoa, where did this come from? But also who are in the depths of suffering, that both of them can arrive um, at, a, at, a, at a life of grace that you've arrived at. Yeah. And I mean, it's a hard thing to hear when you're in the midst of it, but mm -hmm. really the only way out is through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you just have to go through you know, the tunnel. And, um, you know, sadly, some people don't make it, you know, and uh, but those who are able to, to you know, to hang in there just to keep mm -hmm. moving forward to, you know, sometimes you just you have to take one step in front of the other in front of the other, even though you have no idea where you're going, you just it's it's blind faith, you know, it's yeah. just like, uh, yeah, and you were I know, in this place for years. Yeah, especially, um, yeah, that, that period that I describe in the mm -hmm. book, um, which is about two and a half years yeah. where I was, you know, in psychiatric um, treatment and mm -hmm. well, yeah, yeah, and psychoanalysis with um, mm -hmm. with this therapist. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do want to say, because you mentioned about me, you know, being com completely alone, mm -hmm. um, I wasn't completely alone mm -hmm. because uh, these people came into my life. Yes. And that was you know, that was also some of the, the yeah. gift that I felt like, you know, wow. Yes. You know, afterwards, it's like, I didn't feel like it, I deserved them. And yet yes. just um, stepped up for me and yes. were there for me and saw something in me that I didn't see. Mm. Well, and that's, that's funny. That's literally exactly what I was about to say was now <laughs> you weren't mm -hmm. actually totally alone. And I want to talk about these two people and I want to read another short section. You mentioned, not mention, there's a significant, uh, there's a significant relationship um, in your life with this young man named Sam. And you describe this time that he was sort of defending the idea of God, um, not in like an overly theological way, but in sort of like he had struggled through to an understanding. And then you say, um, then I saw it, a light around Sam coming from within, like he was radiating from the inside. I had never seen anything like it. He was perfectly luminous. Everything in the room faded except that light, and I stared at it enthralled. It seemed to last a very long time, though maybe it was only a few seconds. I could not judge the passage of time. So 
first of all, I th- I think this is a pretty obvious yes. Do you think that the light that you saw that day, um, and I don't question your experience at all. I believe mm-hmm. you that you physically saw that with your eyes. Was that the same force that led you to the camera? And secondly, do you understand what happened there any better today than you did that day? Uh First question, yes. I yeah, mean, <laughs> that was a throwaway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think so. I think so. You know, I mean, I when when we're talking about these things, I find mm-hmm. it very hard to say something absolutely definitive mm-hmm. because we're talking mm-hmm. about faith, right? We're talking about yep. faith. Yep. We have evidence to you know to support any of this, mm-hmm. um, but I I do believe so. Yes, um, that this was an energy coming into my life um, that had been absent for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And um, and it manifested in these different ways. And yes, yeah, so I I do think so. And, and yes, this happened. This mm-hmm. literally happened. And it was also this physical sensation of being like punched in the chest. It was very, very, wow. very bizarre. Wow. And uh whether I understand it any better today, no, I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, and as I say, you know, it's not evidence based. It's something mm-hmm. that um, that I just um, experienced physically and you know psychically. And yeah, it was perhaps a turning point in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. because he was one of these people. He and your therapist both who, well, you you have a really powerful scene where um, Sam, and, and I think your psychoanalyst, like you said, was doing this in the background in sort of like a less, a more quiet, less passionate way, but maybe like sort of a more rational, uh, paternal, <laughs> paternal way. Um, they both were doing, as Sam said, like, they were redefining you to yourself as not sort of this lost, maybe slightly insane person, but as a warrior mm-hmm. battling in a fight for good versus evil. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was something, yeah. I mean, suddenly I felt like my struggle had meaning. Mm-hmm. Whereas previously it it just felt meaningless, and it was just one of these things where you know I was just exactly like a mess. I was neurotic. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that. So, mm-hmm. 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 and this is again something you want people to understand that if they're going through something that feels like total chaos and feels completely unjust and unfair, there is meaning in it. Yes, uh, absolutely. There is meaning. And, you know, if, and I mean, you, you touched upon that, maybe you want to get into it a little bit more, but, um, you know, this thing about um, this heaven and hell and, you yes. know, this battle, battles between good and yes. evil and all of that. I mean, that happens inside the human heart. It doesn't happen, yeah. you know, externally. It, mm-hmm. You know, it's not happening outside my window on the street. It happens mm-hmm. inside 
of us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was also a revelation for me at that time, because obviously, like, you know, I'd heard about good and evil and devil and God and all that kind of stuff, you know, I, I paid no attention. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, it was reframed, like, oh, my God, like, this is actually in me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I am part of it. And this is like an age old struggle. This is not mm-hmm. something that's just happening to me. It's been happening since, you know, the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. you know, I just happen to be more caught up in it. I just happen mm-hmm. to um, experience it more deeply, perhaps, than many people do, because many, mm-hmm. many people can go through their lives and, you know, just not mm-hmm. think about it. They can, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. but I was not one of those people I needed to, right. um, I wanted to live my life feeling alive, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and I wanted to find the truth, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, truth is something that is talked about a lot in religion and, mm-hmm. uh, in the Bible and mm-hmm. New Testament, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and truth is also what I was trying to get at with my therapist. It's like, mm-hmm. what is the truth of my past? Mm-hmm. Right? Because mm-hmm. we, we we tell ourselves these different narratives in order mm-hmm. to survive, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then at, at some point, we have to figure out like, what really happened? Like, what is mm-hmm. the truth here? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and this mm-hmm. is just, I mean, it's not something, it's not some abstract thing that you read about in the Bible. It's something mm-hmm. that happens here and now to every, everyone mm-hmm. who is human. Yep. Yep. One of the most powerful to me versus in all of the Bible is you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I think that there is this, um, I I think part of this sort of spirit of the age, if I can use the term, is that we, um, there's a lot of us trying to fool ourselves a lot of the time. And there is something, there is something deep within us that I think we know. And I think as a child, you knew, you sensed yeah. when uh the reality you were sort of being fed didn't match the reality that you were experiencing and it deeply um i mean you you go into exactly what it did but it sort of left this dissonance in you that was um to say it was unsettling is just a massive understatement yeah 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 well, I do actually want to go sort of onto the other side of the coin. So we've talked about this goodness, this light, this higher power. Um, but you don't shy away in your book from talking about evil. In fact, later I'll read like a very powerful definition, very pr- powerful, and I found to be like a very pragmatic and truthful definition of evil. But I want to go into a realm here that I think is like... Um, Definitely uncomfortable and probably something that most people just sort of dismiss. But I I will say openly up front that I actually believe in this. And so, um, you know, just laying the stage, like that's why I'm asking the question. But it's certainly obviously okay if you don't or other people don't. But you use this term, demonic, over and over and over in the book. In fact, I think I'll read, I think I have here page 193. Yeah. You actually say, I was trapped, beholden to a demon, and you're talking about your rage and your inability to connect with this um, person, Sam. 
I was trapped, beholden to a demon that resided inside me and would not let me walk free. And I guess my question is just, it's its its in some ways simple, although of course it's not, because you use the term so many times and later you describe your mother as like a demon. And I guess I just want to know, like, is there a chance that in your mind you believe this is literal, that there are spiritual beings that are sort of actively fighting against us and sometimes even within us fighting against this higher power, so to speak? Well, I think it's always within us. Mm. I wouldn't say it's something outside of us. It's it's mm. it's always within us. Um, that mm. being said, mm. um, it can be instilled in us by somebody else, like a parent, mm. I think. Mm. Um, and, you know, psychiatry or, you know, the, the mental health professionals call this the negative interject, mm. right? So it's, in, it's something that is interjected into you. Um, and, you know, we call it, we can call it um, the inner critic, or we can call it the saboteur, or, you know, whatever name you want to give to it, devil, uh, negative animus, you know, all these different terms. But I mean, I think sort of when you reduce it down to the essence, it's these two energies, right? It's the energy that wants to live, mm -hmm. to create, to, mm -hmm. um, to be free. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the energy that wants the opposite of that, which is to um, to destroy, to um, to criticize, to to undermine, to you know all of all of these mm -hmm. things that basically keep us from being uh, the best versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how do you feel? You know, you describe this like very critical night where you sort of like literally, I think, in a way, said to hell with it, and you almost like gave in to this side of you and and you sort of summarize the night at the end you say i was that cold fury now like this idea of rage and the evil is very closely intertwined um in your yeah. book is that like uh to me that did feel like almost an external force that overtook you but you're saying no something within you what would you say sort of gave way to that? What would you say there? These things are impossible yeah. to explain, right? <laughs> well, I mean, they're difficult to explain. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, or let's just say there are different ways, I think, to, mm -hmm. to, view, to view it. Um, but I would always say um, that it's, it, it's not external. It was something that was within me. But mm -hmm. um, I think when you are in that place mm -hmm. where you are so shattered mm -hmm. right and you don't have the core part of you that you can let's say um that you can always refer to as this is me right this is you know your your inner strength your inner authenticity your inner sense of who you are um when you have been shattered as a child, especially, and especially the younger, I I believe, the younger mm -hmm. um, the trauma happens, mm -hmm. um, the more shattered you become and the, the less able you are to formulate that um, sense of who you are, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and I think that when you don't have that core part of yourself um, ingrained well enough, mm -hmm. you are very susceptible to these energies. Mm -hmm. that are running through you. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I know in that case, uh, in that situation with with me and the whole um, the, that period of, in my life that I described, mm-hmm. um, I I was so shattered. You know, I was I was reduced to rubble basically mm-hmm. by the shattering of my illusions, and um, and mm-hmm. so I couldn't handle I couldn't handle either. I couldn't handle this incredibly powerful good energy that was coming my way that I describe as that light, you know, the, uh, and you know, this love that I was feeling for the first time. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, um, this very demonic, um, uh, self-sabotaging, uh, Mm -hmm. energy was just, you know, wanted to destroy everything Mm -hmm. that I, you know, that I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, that evening that I described there, I mean, I was drinking also, which is something that, yes. I, you know, uh, that, that is not a good idea. <laughs> right. And you are in that place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, yeah. alcohol um, really messes things up and, yeah. um, and it's it, maybe it a lowers, conduit. Yeah. For some of these lowers, demonic energies, yeah, so to speak. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it lowers your that. resistance to yep to you know being able to withstand yep. and maybe especially when it's a generational thing that has been passed on and passed on and passed on maybe Absolutely. there's especially some sort of thread there that I can't quite explain but I've seen it yeah and I mean uh, you know generational trauma is also a thing yeah. right yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, these these traumas that you know it didn't just start with me it was no my yeah. four fathers and mothers right who yeah. Uh, and that, but that's a whole other, that's another tangent. It, it is. Yeah. And I mean, re, you know, new research is mm-hmm. yep. supporting this, you know, that, that these traumas are actually passed on through our DNA, but in terms of, yeah, in terms of the alcohol, mm. um, I don't drink anymore. Uh. And, um, I know for a fact that I could not have written this book if I had been using alcohol and, you wow. know, I, alcohol was never a problem for me. Like I, you know, I've never been addicted or, you know, had instances where I couldn't stop or anything or blackouts or anything. Um, But the energy that it brought with it for some reason was not healthy for me. And um, I, I just stopped and I know that I couldn't have, I wouldn't have had the psychic strength to write this book Mm. If I'd been, you know, shutting down the laptop and going having a glass of wine afterwards, you know, like it just it's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And it did, even though it was, you know, maybe three times a week or four times a week that I'd have like a glass of wine or whatever, it was enough to numb me. You know, it was mm. enough to maintain that, that state of numbness. Mm. And um, and also, I mean, it it took a lot of psychic energy to write this book. Mm-hmm. And I needed every bit of psychic energy yeah. that I had mm. to, and that I could muster to actually be able to to write it. And I just know I couldn't have done it. Um, so anyway, back to your question uh, about that <laughs> evening. I think that that was part of it, definitely, is that, you know, I... I was just so sick of it by that time of not being able to be normal mm-hmm. and not being able to just go out and have a good time with this guy that I really, you know, was mm-hmm. into and that mm-hmm. I loved and blah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was just like, 
the hell with it. I'm just going to go for it. Right. And so I just, and, um, and this is what happened. And, um, it just took over. Mm -hmm. It just took over. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, ostensibly what happened wasn't that horrible. Like I just, Mm -hmm. you know, I describe it in the book, but I mean, it's just something that, you know, people, when they're fighting, they would do something or whatever, Mm -hmm. but it was, and yeah, energy. we've all had that moment where we sort of dig in our heels and the the worse we feel about the way we're behaving, the worse we behave. We've all had that moment. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that that moment it was it was an energy mm-hmm. that was there mm-hmm. that was just mm-hmm. it was there to kill. Mm-hmm. And and he felt it. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, "Okay, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can't do anymore. I I just mm-hmm. can't." Yeah, it was like the spirit in him could not contend with that spirit. Uh, yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's that's how that that's how that went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like you said, he was used as well as your psychoanalyst was used to sort of like maybe if the battle was lost there, the war was won. Um, and it probably would not have been. I'm well. Let me ask you. If I, I'm not sure I understand what you're asking. Ah, uh, if he wasn't there at that stage in your life. Yeah. Maybe, you know, sort of a sacrifice, right? Like a sacrificial soldier in the war. Maybe it wouldn't have been one. Right. Um, maybe, you know, mm. I, I, I don't know. I can't really say for sure, but I right. mean, you right. know, I mean, things just happen and mm-hmm. Maybe there's a reason and maybe there isn't, but mm-hmm. um, this is the way it unfolded. And, mm-hmm. you know, as long as you're mm-hmm. moving forward, then you move right. forward. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I think I'm saying it almost as someone maybe um, uh, thinking from the perspective, and I know how short we are in time, so we'll have to wrap it up soon. You've already given me so much more. Um, I think I'm thinking maybe of um, sort of going back to the idea of the Al-Anon um, person like maybe if we're the person in the life who is experiencing rejection um and again maybe i'm speaking about this from the perspective of a um adoptive mother <laughs> sometimes to experience rejection um to sort of be there and sort of like just be that person who's reflecting maybe back at someone what's happening maybe there's a purpose to that even if um Right, right, right. Mm. Maybe that's I mean, the perspective I'm coming in, you know? I think there was a purpose to that mm-hmm. relationship at that time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, it Maybe, taught yeah. a lot. Right. And because just because the relationship failed doesn't, doesn't mean perhaps that the purpose for it failed. I Does that see. make sense? No, absolutely not. I mean, it mm-hmm. was, yeah, it, it, there was a purpose there. And yeah, and it's... Yeah. It it's it's part of me. It's part of what makes mm-hmm. me me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was a very intense experience. It was um, mm-hmm. it left a a, a mark. And um, obviously, mm-hmm. since I'm writing about it all these years later, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, like I said, I mean, we'll have to skip so much. There was so much I wanted to ask about writing, and specifically about the fact that you own your own publishing company, which um, 
I, I'm going to link in the show notes to your About Me page and why you started that. I think that's incredible, by the way. My whole, uh, that was probably one, I, I think younger, I knew that I didn't have the talent to be a full-time writer, but I wanted to be around books. So one of my dream jobs was to work at a publisher and read books, which of course, that's what I'm turning my podcast into, it seems like. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But well, I mean, I... I should say that I publish my own books only. Like I, I don't, you know, I just uh, basically, yeah, I set up a a business around publishing my own work because well, I yeah. to get it out there. It's brilliant. And you're just like, you know what, what I have isn't working, so I'm going to do it myself. What yeah. a what a great model for so many of us. I mean, I just I wanted to stand up and cheer when I read that oh, in your oh. about me section yesterday. Um, but like I said, I'll link to that um for people who kind of want to get like we've gone really deep for people who are like, whoa, let's let's pull back for a minute and see what what's this woman about. Um, I'll link to your about me page. But I'd love to end with just sort of one question, maybe to bring it back to the beginning, not quite to the food, but back to Iceland and just ask you if um what is your relationship to Iceland now? Has has Iceland itself been a part of healing your wounds? And then also maybe to compare um, sort of to like, I guess, finish the cycle, maybe your daughter's relationship to Iceland to your relationship with Iceland and what watching that um, has meant for you in terms of healing. So that's sort of, that's, that's, that's a lot of questions. Maybe take, take, take what works for you from that. And uh, let's, let's bring it back there if that's possible. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, the first question mm-hmm. is about Iceland. So I, um, I finish my memoir with me moving back to Iceland, mm-hmm. um, but I actually didn't, I, I actually ended up, going back to Canada again and mm-hmm. um and then spending a few years drifting around and um and I came back 10 years after that and settled mm-hmm. permanently uh and yes I was a single mother at that time mm-hmm. and my daughter was um almost 3 mm-hmm. so and I was 31 at that time mm-hmm. and I had lived in 29 different places wow. in my life so um, just can I just say, aside from everything else, I mean, the research does kind of show that in and of itself is like a deeply traumatizing thing for a child. Definitely. I mean, that I mean, never b- being able to put down roots, basically never being able to um, form relationships with people that lasted mm-hmm. and um, add to that, of course, that the loss of a culture, you know, and this mm-hmm. is something that yes. we recognize today as being highly traumatic is yeah. when you lose your culture. Mm-hmm. And um, and obviously that, that happened to me at a fairly early age. But mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, and I was just, I was so exhausted. I was so exhausted mm-hmm. from moving so much and, um, and never having um, a place where I felt um, that I could put down roots and, mm-hmm and grow properly. And mm-hmm. so Iceland has given me that, you know, and um, it's funny, I, you know, I had lived in 29 different places in 31 years. And I've been here now for for 30 years in Iceland this wow. year. Mm-hmm. And um, the first year, while I was, you know, trying to find a place to settle, I, I lived in three different places, because I had to, you know, whatever, rentals and mm-hmm. and um and then since then i've only lived in two places so the place wow. i live in now i've lived in for t- over 20 years mm-hmm. and you know it was that is just so important 
to just mm-hmm. have like a home base, to have a place mm-hmm. that is yours. And so when I was raising my daughter, it was really, really important for me that she didn't have to experience that. You know, it's mm-hmm. always the way, right? We don't want right. our children. It's <laughs> what we had to go through. Mm-hmm. And, um, or some of us at least, not all, but, you mm-hmm. know, some parents are, mm-hmm. yeah. And mm-hmm. um, so she grew up in the same neighborhood from the time that we arrived in Iceland all through her school years. And she still has friends. I mean, her closest friends are friends that she made in kindergarten and you know grade one and um so um so she has a very sort of she's very different from from me and Mm -hmm. um she has a a very strong social network and um but you know we all have our things to contend with and she obviously has hers but Mm -hmm. you know um that is I think the difference between between us and you know, I I don't want to talk about her relationship to mm. Iceland because that's something that she can do better than mm, than me. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I know that she uh, had a lot of stability growing up, which I didn't have. So, mm. and that 30, was important. Mm, Thirty years in, do you feel like an Icelander? Mm, no, not entirely. Mm. No, I never will. Mm-hmm. I'll never feel completely an Icelander and I'll never feel completely an outsider. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that happens when people I think grow up mm-hmm. in two cultures mm-hmm. is that you, you never belong to one or the other, mm-hmm. but that's actually been my strength because it's mm-hmm. been, it's allowed me to build a career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't bemoan that even though sometimes I feel like, you know, I'd love to have the social networks that people here have that they form very early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, I have what the Icelanders call the guests, which is the the guests eye. Mm. So I'm able to see mm-hmm. things in Icelandic society that people here um, are oblivious to, and I can write about them <laughs> <laughs> and uh, publish books about them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't, I, I certainly don't claim to speak for you at all here, but um, because it's been such a spiritually minded conversation to speak for myself. I mean, I am someone who believes that ultimately this world is not our home, that there is a, there's, there's an eternity out there. And so I think there is something to living life as a nomad to understanding, ah, I guess maybe just having a hunger and a thirst to keep to keep seeking. That is maybe um, maybe a gift to some people. Anyhow, Alda, I just I thank you so much. Like I said, I mean, I don't I don't even think we went through half the questions I had for you. I could have talked to you so much longer, but I really, really, really appreciate that you gave um, so much time. And uh, ultimately that you did help people listening to feel seen. I'm positive that there um that there's a purpose to this conversation um as well as to this memoir that you've written. Thank you so so much. Thank you. Thank you Becky for giving me the opportunity to to talk about it and to talk with you. It's been lovely. Mm, my pleasure. I hope you I hope you have a really wonderful day. Thank you. Same to you. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening through to the end here. I just want to give you a quick roundup of the links that you can find in the show notes. Um, I mentioned Alda's About Me page, which is essentially her biography in a nutshell, um, several times throughout the episode. And you can find a link to that. It actually is taking you to a particular edition of um, one of her substacks, the substacks titled letter from Iceland. I also have links um, in the show notes to both of her substacks. that first one, Letters from Iceland, and the second one, uh, I think it's titled Things I Don't Talk About at Parties, which is more um, more discussion of these types of things that we talked about, um, recovery from childhood trauma, therapy, things, things of that nature. Also, I have links to Alta's page on Amazon, which will take you to all of her books. Highly recommend anything Alda has written, especially if you're traveling to Iceland. Alda gives us, uh, as she says, this really great perspective of the inside outside. And um, it's just really interesting facts and helpful facts, I will say as well, for um, facts and perspectives for those who will be guests in the country of Iceland. Um, Also, I have linked to... um, the other spiritual memoir that I mentioned a couple times, um, or maybe I just mentioned it once, uh, this is just a very powerful memoir. It deeply affected me by Jennifer Fulweiler, and it's titled Something Other Than God. So I've linked to that as well. Uh, a few more links in the show notes, and these, of course, will benefit me um, personally and hopefully will benefit you too. First of all, I would love it if you subscribe to the podcast. If you are a regular podcast listener, I have the link right there so you can um, subscribe to your favorite through your favorite player if however you're not really a big podcast listener if you are not a regular podcast listener then the best bet is to subscribe to my newsletter and even if you do listen to podcasts regularly this might be a great way for you to go because you get not only notifications about um, new episodes but you get links to the recipes as well I send out newsletters pretty faithfully every Friday um, with updates on members of the community, former guests. Um, you get some input into what shows will be coming up. And this is just a great way to stay in touch, make sure that you're not missing any episodes or any recipes, which is uh, actually what I get the most clicks on from my newsletter. So that might be something you'd be interested in also. Finally, of course, as always, it means so much to me personally. If you will leave a five-star rating and written review. And to make that easy for you, I've um, given you one link. Uh, It's the Love the Podcast link. If you link on that, then it will bring up um, the options that are specific to your device and your platforms and just make that really easy for you. Again, I appreciate you listening through. I appreciate your support. And I deeply appreciate the time and effort and um, as she says, psychic struggle that Alda put into writing this memoir and sharing it with all of us. I hope you have a great week, my friends.